Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Utah, the show of whiskey, the show of post-Vietnam, San Antonio. Today's guest is the amazing proprietor in Texas sales for High West Whiskey out of Utah, Mr. Chris Furtado. It's been an amazing week for High West, and in fact, it'll be High West Whiskey Week at Show to V. First, we'll talk with Chris today and then the amazing founder, David Perkins, this Thursday. But it was recently announced that High West was acquired and purchased by Constellation Brands for $160 million. That is an amazing amount of money to expand their production and share even more great whiskey with you guys. Chris was pouring some of the new juice at Whiskeys of the World this year, and I have to say it's excellent, excellent stuff. Can't wait till we try the two-year High West produced whiskey coming to a store near you very soon. So hope you guys enjoy this chat with Chris Furtado. Are you asking, well, what do you, how do you like to do right. or what's your favorite whiskey or, you know, any of those questions. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's a loaded question. Sure. All right. Because, well, I'm like, what's the weather like? Mm-hmm. What mood am I in? Who am I with? Yeah. What do I want? I mean, every day is a different experience. What so, if it's been a really, really difficult backbreaking week? You're down, you're at, at your home, you're home, mm-hmm. you're going to turn on a movie and you want a glass of something. What is the best thing for you? Stress drinking, as they stress say. Drink, stress, un, the unwinding drink. Well, usually I do my unwinding, you know, uh, I have a tradition in my house. I cook dinner every night. Yeah, wow. Uh, and so I drink whiskey or any. I drink cocktails while, yeah. I'm, while I'm cooking. And so that's that's kind of my unwinding time. Um, and I typically, I drink something a little, I, I drink something that's more refreshing. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to drink quite a bit of it, um, you know. There's, You're good at it now. You're real good at drinking there's now. There's no such thing as mini drinks at my house. Right. I, I do I do very large drinks. So I, I want something that's going to be long and, you know, mm-hmm. something like a double rye Collins, a sour, um, a mule, something like that. Um, you know, I love daiquiris and things like that as well. So, you know, given, given just depends on my mood at the, at the moment yeah. what, what, what works, but I'll drink something nice and long and tall. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a good approach to dating too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the bigger the drink, the better, right? supposedly supposedly well it's good so you're in town doing some staff training at twin this morning you said and i you know i've i last time i remember us being in the same room maybe it was one of the happy hours you did down at geraldine's for mm. high west but perhaps also was the holiday party i know i've seen you there probably oh, a couple yeah. years yeah all dressed to the the nines mm-hmm. you're in texas so much it begs the question are you a texan originally? oh I, I live in texas oh you do where I you live, live i live in dallas fort worth oh shit okay uh, yeah okay. so i uh uh they hired. They wanted to hire a Texan to sell Utah whiskey. Some, <laughs> someone who spoke the language. Yeah. Um, someone who had those contacts. Uh, so back at the time, I worked for the distributor Republic. Yeah. And uh, I had let my bartending buddies who were still in the industry, you know, on, 
I was like, you guys know all the, all these ambassadors mm -hmm. and stuff. You see people that I don't. Um, why don't you know? You just if you hear something, I'm like, I'm happy here. But yeah, if yeah. you hear something, so. But maybe. If, if, just maybe, yeah. <laughs> if the right thing comes along. And the right thing came along. Literally within 24 hours, well, a little over 48 hours, I I had already accepted, pretty much accepted the position. We just going through formalities. Yeah. Um, so I, I found a great thing. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time um, in, in Texas, all over the state. Yeah, I was going to say. Primarily, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm bopping between Austin, um, Dallas, and Houston. Yeah. Uh, a good amount in San Antonio, but not as much as the other three. And, you know, everybody, it's, it's a running joke. Wherever I go, it's like, Chris, we don't see you. We don't see you. Even in my hometown, Chris, yeah, we never yeah. see you. And I was like, I hear that wherever I go. It doesn't matter because with one High West person in the state of Texas. You're busy. You can imagine, you know. Very, very busy. And you have every bar and every retail account that you're supposed to be calling on. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's reached the point where I can only, you know, really work with the up-and-coming accounts or, right, right. or the really good ones that I want to support, you know, that are doing volume and I want to help them do more and, and they're really promoting the brand. And Absolutely. those are the accounts that I go and spend. Well, it's a good, with. it's a good team to be on high West, you know, and we'll talk about more about kind of the, the product offerings and things in a bit, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's a winning team. You've got a great reputation, you know, and it's a, hell, people are going to love you in the market. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, it's, and then this is one of the things when I made a decision to go work for high West, um, I, I had to one work with, uh, a spirit that I, I enjoyed, yeah, yeah. Uh, because if I'm going to drinking it all the time, I got it's got to be something. Oh, great. you have to. Um, and I like to say I'm a terrible salesman, so I want something that sells itself. Mm. High West sells itself. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good whiskey. It's an honest story. It's a good story. We've got a lot of great, you know, people behind the brand, smart people. Yeah. Um, so it makes it my job easier. Um, if I had to go out there and fight people to buy High West, I, I wouldn't have this job. <laughs> There's well, no and it, you know, <laughs> part of it actually the the big burden. For anybody, it would be the personality. But I think you have such a great reputation, too, from what I understand. You know, people really speak highly of you. So, yeah, you have a whiskey that sells itself, which may give you momentum as a great person, too. Those well, two things kind of working symbiotically. Absolutely. It's, it's very much true. It's funny. When I was first hired, actually, when I was waiting for my paper, you know, everybody yeah, knew yeah. I was going to work. Um, and our VP of sales at the time came to, came to Dallas, and he was visiting accounts. And he knew he was going to hire me. And he actually had me out to an account. He's like, why don't you, I know you're still working for somebody else, but mm. come and watch yeah. and learn. And I was like, sure, I can spend, you know, an hour hanging out with you. And so I did. And, and he went to one of my friend's accounts mm -hmm. and presented the whole High West line. And my friend sits there and listens to it. And it's Rocco Milano. I don't know if you know Rocco. Um, and he uh, he went through the whole spiel. And Rocco's like, yeah, it's all, it's great whiskey. He goes, I'll bring it all in as soon as you hire Chris. Ah, yes. And so... Matt was like, oh, oh, okay, well, yeah, we'll see what we can do. So he goes off on his day <clears throat> and is visiting other accounts. Yeah. Uh, and I go out and, and do my, my normal job. And uh, at the end of the day, he invites me out to dinner. So I meet him for dinner. And he's like, I said, one of your friend's accounts. And I was like, well, I'm sure you probably had a couple of my friend's accounts. But yeah, which one? Oh, I was at FT33. I, I was like, oh, so how's Lauren? She's great. She said that she's going to bring it all in as soon as you're hired. And I told her, I guess I'm hiring the right guy. And she was like, yeah, you are hiring the right So hiring me. The, fu the future in politics is already being paved, Chris. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not about that. I got the dream part down for politics, yeah. but I don't know about anything else. Um, you know, it was one of those things that there was so much low-hanging fruit. Mm. Um, I was primarily hired for my relationships. You know, the people I knew in the business in Dallas and in, and in the whole state of Texas, I right. had the relationships, which is primary for for this job this industry man mm -hmm. and that's Absolutely. one of the things and you know 
we kind of touch and go an email, but you're finally kind of down here and we're sitting. And the thing is, like, we sometimes we don't get deep enough with each other, mm-hmm. right? Because it is such kind of a transactional environment or climate. And obviously, if you're saying hi to one of your friends at a bar and it's three deep, it's very difficult to have these kind of like deeply engaging mm-hmm. kind of interactions with people. So that's one of the reasons that I have people over and kind of sit and talk with them, you know? Because it's like, why well, didn't know you worked at Republican as a would you call yourself a te- I know you live in Dallas but did you grow up in Texas as well um I was I was an Air Force brat so okay. I grew up quite over all over the place yeah. including overseas but um since 1975 I've lived in Texas yeah so yeah I'm pretty much any, any exciting overseas spots I mean that there's a couple people too that have been army brats um I, I lived in the Philippines at the end of the Vietnam War oh wow uh yeah so like when all the refugees came over when all of the POWs came back yeah um, they came to Clark Air Force Base, which is where I lived. So how old are you? I was like, I was about ten at the time. So you actually that actually left an impression. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the POWs came to my elementary school, um, <clears throat> and he uh, he wanted he wanted to see kids. He hadn't seen kids in a while. Yeah. And so I was the one who took him around and escorted him. Um, my sisters, you remember the the old metal yeah. bands that yeah. they had for the POWs? Right. They got to give those to the POWs and stuff. Oh, so it was God. really amazing. My my sisters and my mom took care of the orphans, um, you know, when they, when they landed and stuff. So it yeah. was it was an amazing time to be part of that part of history. Wow. Um, you know, my dad was in Vietnam. He, he, he didn't go into combat. Right, he, right, like, right. he was there while the war was there, but obviously right at the tail end. Wow. Um, so it was, it was amazing to say, you know, hey, we were there for that part of history. That's, I mean, cool. that is an amazing apex of history. Yeah. Like people coming back and being glad to see you. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. It's yeah. like the, the, the first, first time kids that they see when they're getting out of these terrible circumstances. Yeah. Know? pretty bright so how long were you in the philippines then? two and a half years and then when did you guys head back to the states after that? then we came back and moved to san Antonio, and i've lived no there kidding. ever since yeah because uh, there, there's there there's the base there right yeah there's yeah. like four there bases. was there was there were four bases uh so my dad reti- ended up retiring in, in san Antonio. yeah so what, what did did your mom have was she like teaching was she just kind of Hanging out with she's at house. My would she? She do? was she was an officer's wife. So. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to you know be like delicate about it because I don't. No, I didn't no, she grow was, military, but yeah, she she's uh, actually until we were all in high school, then she she did get some part time jobs. Oh cool, thing. okay. But you know, that, that was still back in seven, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. So you know it wasn't as common as it is now. So coming into San Antonio, that's where really the formative years kind of take hook, right? So Absolutely. high school and, and junior junior. High, what was San Antonio like at that point? It kind of predates anybody that I've talked to that's really mm-hmm. been in San Antonio as it kind of came into its own. Um, very much, it was, I mean, the same but different. Yeah. Okay. It was very much a military and tourist uh, city. Um, obviously, there wasn't the, uh, you know, the diversity of culture in terms of, you know, hey, now we have all these great fine dining and, right, you right. know, all that kind of stuff. It was very much, you know, Mexican food and, and barbecue yeah. and, you know, and Lone Star. And that, w- that was it. You know, there wasn't anything fancy about it, but it was a place where people came. And, Still you know, good food there, man. Like, oh, absolutely. Some of the best taquerias I've ever been to. Absolutely. Easily. And so what is it like socially, though? What kinds of things were you getting into trouble? Did you find, like, a, a nice crowd to oh, hang no. out? Oh, we, no. We, uh, I had, well, my parents were fairly trusting. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, we had, you know, this is back... You know, I graduated from high school in 1982. Okay. This is back when it was illegal to drink when you're 18. Yeah. All right. So, oh, you know, it, it was like, <laughs> and there, it, it was a whole, I mean, in that regard, I mean, talk about our business. It was a whole different scene back then. Yeah. I mean, because literally, first time I went into a bar was at 16. God, that's crazy. You know, and 
it was like I looked like I was old enough. And so, you know, hey, 16, 18, there's not that much variance no, in, in right, right. appearance. So, you know, yeah, I was I, I started back when I was 16. I'm not heavy, but yeah, you know, yeah. my first experiences were that. So, were your uh, folks like they were like, because my folk, or at least my mom was really ardently against drinking. Would, were your parents kind of open to it? Didn't not. care? No, no, they didn't, they didn't care. Um, they were very much, you know, hey, you know, uh, they drank. My dad came home, had a beer or two a night. Yeah. My mom had cocktails. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, you want to try it? Go ahead. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that that's a good, that's a good attitude. That's the way I work with my kids. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you, if you make it forbidden candy, then as oh, soon as you're they, creating they a lure, man, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my kids are like, yeah, I see that stuff all the time. They really <laughs> don't care. And I'm like, hey, you want to? They're like, what are you drinking, whiskey? They're like, you want to try it? It's really good. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> you know, so it reinforces that. It's the so. best medicine for well, parents, that, isn't it? That, that, you know, I, I tell them, I tell them, hey, you know what? If you screw up with booze, yeah. that costs me my job. Oh, true. Good you know, point, yeah. I'm like, you can't get in trouble uh, because that means no money for you, no house. They're like, okay. okay we get, get it, it. yeah so How old are your, your kids so i have two that live with me i've got a 16 year old and eight oh, oh he'll be 18 in, in a week and a half man prime time yeah so you know i have i have kids that could get into a lot of trouble but sure they're but uh, it's kind of like if you're cool and you're open and you communicate and kind of just have this nice transparent relationship they'll be that same way right absolutely that's, how, that's what i always thought yeah i mean it's like they set the expectation from day one and just, i was like how can you leave you're gone all the time how can you leave your kids and like because I trust them. Yeah. You know, that and my sister lives, you know, 15 houses. <laughs> yeah. But, but they still. They probably don't want me around that much anyway right now, you know. <laughs> exactly. They don't care. It's like, <laughs> okay. you know, I feel bad, you know. I, I come back to town. It's like, okay, I'm going to, like, spend all my time with my kids. And yeah. they're out. I'm like, yeah, they're doing their own thing anyway, right? I'm like, great. I'm glad I stayed home tonight. I could be out, <laughs> you know, I'm drinking. I could be hanging out with my friends. Yeah. You know, so. It yeah. happens. But it's so San Antonio 82, what kinds of things? Were you an academic student? Were you more creative? Um. So I was first three years of high school was more sports. Uh, I didn't play. I was a trainer. So oh, okay. I was like the head personal student trainer? trainer. I was the head student trainer. Oh, so, geez. Okay. You know, wow. for the football team and track and all that stuff. Yeah. So I was the one fixing everybody up. Um, I quit that my senior year. I was just devoted to being a senior, having a good time. Yeah. Uh, I was senior class vice president, not president. Conscious choice. I'm like, vice president doesn't have to do anything. You were the Biden of, of the school. Yeah, I was like, I was like. <laughs> Hey, I just have to be here and hang out you yeah. know, and, and advise. I'm like, I don't have to do any work. I'm not responsible. So I did that. Um, <clears throat> we, had a, we had a really good, you know, good time. One, I had a friend who actually lived with me. He, he lived in California, but he wanted to graduate with the rest of his class uh-huh. in, in, in Texas. So his mom let him live his senior year with me. Oh, so there were two of us. It was like I had an extra brother that year. That's so, so cool. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah we, really you know, we, our, our thing was, you know, we... We had a lot of great parties. Yeah, uh, we lived on the outskirts. Well, what was the outskirts back then? Um, right, just south of sixteen oh four. Okay, so that was mostly farmland. Yeah, north of that at that point. So we had a lot of pasture parties. Oh man, we were big. You know, what is, what do you what does one drink at a pasture party? Eggs. Okay, you roll. You, <laughs> someone's got a truck. You roll a keg out there and you just sit there and drink. Someone brings bottles and stuff. It's but, amazing. Yeah. But that was you know because we had eighteen year old friends and, yeah. and you could drink. So so yeah. would you, would. Did your sometimes our parents really have this heavy influence on where we end up, of course. And mm-hmm. so was your dad in any way saying, Hey, Chris, you should do the military thing too, or did he want you to not do that? Like no, he said not. He said he said, No, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do that. Um, I, of course I ended up going to A and M, which is I didn't go in the core, but that's you know, military influence. Yeah, oh sure. Um, what so, what kind of what area of study there? Chemical engineering. Really? Yeah. Was that something that I mean because I'm trying to paint the, the dots here or connect the dots. Well, rather. you know, it's crazy because 
you know, I think that if I'd grown up in like this day and age yeah. with all the stuff you see about culinary stuff and spirits and, you know, brewing and distilling, I mean, I would have led a different life. But yeah. back in the early oh, 80s, different deal you, didn't, you didn't get to see that. So, you know, the expectation was <clears throat> you make good grades, you go to college, you, you know, pick a career and that's it. And it's like, well, you're 18. What do you know when you're 18? Mm -hmm. You don't know squat. So I knew that I liked chemistry. I, I took four years of chemistry in high school. And so I was like. Willingly. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, engineers get paid a lot of money. I like chemistry. I should be a chemical engineer. Makes that sense was, on paper, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was like, it was great. And of course, you know, chemical engineering, one of the hardest majors there is. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, like, you're really bright. <laughs> well, you know, I ended up, and, and it was one of those things where I graduated in four years. Mm -hmm. I worked my ass off. Amazing. I, 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 you know, went to school two summers. You know, I went pretty much constantly. I took yeah. one summer off my whole my whole career. Um, but in 86, when we were graduating, it was the middle of the oil crunch. And so if you didn't have a job, oh. in, like in 85, yeah. already lined up, then you didn't have a job when you graduated. Oh, man. So, of course, you know, what do you do? Well, I live in College Station. <laughs> what do <laughs> you, know, you do? Gonna, worked in bars and restaurants, you yeah. know. And so um, I ended up staying there for another four years. No, in five years. In College Station? In College Station, yeah. Really? Yeah, and then uh, I moved up here in 91, and I've just... I was bartending the whole time. And it was just like, you know what? You reach a point and, you know, uh, em employers are like, well, you know, you have this degree, which yeah. is great, but you never used it. I'm like, and I'm making money doing my thing. So I'm like, why? It doesn't really matter much, does it? It's yeah. like, well, yeah, I have it, but like, I kind of like this other thing. Well, yeah. And, you know, I was bartending. So, there, and again, back then there wasn't as much craft spirits and right. stuff like that. Um, so, because what we're talking probably, yeah, you said 86, right? Yeah, I graduated in 86 from, from college. I moved up here in 91, and, you know, and, and I worked at really one of the best bars in Dallas at the time, Houston's Restaurant. Oh, I mean, okay. Houston, yeah, Houston's yeah. was one of the originals. They used squeeze juice to order, you know, and that yeah. they used, you know, the little bitty bottles of soda, not a gun. Yeah. And so they, they had, you know, I wouldn't call them craft, but they were that, that forerunner yeah. back in 91 of <clears throat> people going in that direction. Especially but, in Texas, yeah. Did it was, it, but did it mean something to you yet? Like, was it just like, oh, this is a thing they do, or rather, did you? No, did it was. I mean, I realized the quality of that product. Wow. Um, in the early nineties, too. That's insane. Yeah, like, it's really ahead of the, the curve there. Absolutely, it, it was really crazy. And you know, I don't think they got enough credit, but yeah, they they really did a lot of stuff. You know, of course, they d didn't do anything. You know, their brandy Alexander was made with ice cream. You know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So there were there's some things that were they kind of a little. It calls, off. It's like, it's like <laughs> right in the middle once everything's added together, right? <laughs> exactly. So you know, but it, it was that was a that was a good experience. You must love people then. It seems like v VP, the kind of the party cabinet position in a sense, right? Like yeah. I do think of Biden. I think he's a wonderful prototype for a VP. But <laughs> I, you know, I think that I'm I'm one of those extroverted introverts. I mean, because. You know, I, I'm not someone who gets really energized by being in crowds, but yeah. I am someone who can sit down and have a conversation, um, even more so since I'm on this side of the bar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to say I love bartending because that way I've got three feet between me and everybody. Yeah, And true. I can sit there and I can have conversations, and I can build up relationships. You know, I had regulars and stuff, and I'm really good at that. Um, but a lot of times, you know, some I'm, I'm more of a, you know, few really good friends than mm. a whole bunch of friends kind oh, of thing. Totally. You know? um, but I found that, you know, being when I switched to this side of the bar, I guess I may have I blossomed a little bit as yeah. far as my outgoingness because, you know, I, part of part of what I do is just to sit down at bars and talk to people, you know. And it's not different. I, it's just in a different array and like a array, you know. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I I strike, you know, I I have accounts that, 
you know, they know that High West doesn't have a ton of money like some of these big guys, right? right. And so, you know, when when they say, oh, you know, well, we put you on the menu, and I was like, wow, that's awesome. Why? You know, I can't, you know, help you out or anything. And they're like, no, 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 no this, you just do what you do. And I was like, uh, what do I do? And they're like, well, you come in and sit at the bar and you talk to people about High West. Yeah. And you get them excited and they go and do that stuff. And I was like, oh, and you buy drinks. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I want people to try my whiskey. Yeah. And it's funny because bosses at one point, they're like, your, your tabs are higher than everybody else's. I'm like, well, because I buy people drinks. I'm like, yeah, they should what's taste the it. I'm like, yeah, how can people know that they like it, you know? And I guarantee you, if you put it in people's mouth, they're going to like it. They're mm -hmm. going to buy it again. He's like, you don't know that. And I was like, okay, you want to hear a story? I'm like, I'll tell you a story. So I was at the Windmill Lounge in Dallas, uh -huh. New Year's Eve. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to my friends, and we're drinking whiskey. And these two guys come in, and one older guy and, like, his grandson or nephew or something. And they start ordering whiskeys, you know, old-fashioned and a Manhattan or something. And, of course, bartenders who know me, if I'm sitting at the bar and someone orders a whiskey drink, they'll look at me. And they'll give me that, that head shake. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's that, you know, hey, yeah. Chris. And, and I'll say, yeah, if they... If they, it is know, a weird. Isn't it a weird thing that happens to me too? Sometimes where it's like, oh, gin, gin. Oh, right, shit. Okay, and then you go and enter stage left. It's <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, if you, this gentleman over here will buy your drink if you drink High West. Yeah, we'll drink High West. Yeah. So I bought these two guys a drink, um, and of course it strikes up a conversation. So they come over and we start talking and talk, tell them about High West. We tell them about all this stuff, and we have a great conversation. And they actually have a second, and which I was like, no, 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 put it on me. It's fine. Mm. Um, and then they say, oh, well, thank you very much. And, you know, we're going on, we're going on, visit another place. And I'm like, great, have a good night. And, you know, they didn't pay for any drinks, but they tipped the bartender. So the bartender mm -hmm. likes that. He makes extra cash. Um, I ended up, you know, one, I'm doing depletions. I'm helping him. To, I'm tipping on my tab. Mm -hmm. You know, so the bartender doubles up and, you know, everybody's happy. You know, totally. I'm selling whiskey. So I leave there and I'm heading back up north because I live up north in, in the colony. And I get... Uh, I'm stopping off at Whiskey Cake, which is... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I used... It was like my home bar. It's the bar I used... My oh, last bar I bartended at. Is it really? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. I was a bartender at, at Whiskey Cake. No kidding. And and so I, I'm like, ah, I'll stop in for one over here. And so I sit down, and it's a pretty busy night, and I sit down at one side of the bar, and the bartender comes running up to me, Chris, 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 these two dudes over here, they just ordered High West. And this was early on. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I look over there. And it's the two dudes I bought drinks for at the Windmill Lounge. Amazing. And I was like, well, they better be because I just walked in with <laughs> And they see me and they come running over and they're like, hey, man, we just wanted to see if anybody else knew about this stuff. And we, it was like, yeah, well, you came to the right place because this is my bar too. So it's a small-ass world, isn't it? Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it works. I mean, if you have good juice, all I'm, People all, love to talk All about. you have to do is put it in people's mouth and yeah. it strikes up a conversation. Absolutely. I've had so many conversations with people, interesting people. I'm not, I was at... Rambler and I talked to a film producer and you know all these different guys and a lot of it is not normally you know if it's just me if it was just me and Chris wasn't Mr. Whiskey mm -hmm. then I just sit there and mind my own business yeah. you know but do you like this this role all the world's a stage right so do you like this role do you like being this guy uh, there's a certain amount of pride in it yeah um, you know it's funny when you're sitting in some place and someone screams from down the bar you're the whiskey guy <laughs> not. She's and this is indelicately, right? It was like, yeah, this is like at you know twelve thirty at night. She's been having a few. I know you. You're that whiskey guy. I went to that thing where you were at and you talked, and I was like, 
okay, that's pretty abstract, but yeah, I'm the whiskey guy. And yeah. she's like, come here, I want you to meet somebody. And so I was like, okay, you know, I own it. Um, but like you said, all the words of state, there's never a downtime for us, is no. there? I mean, and that's what, you know, when my bartending friends are like thinking about, you know, as more of them have done since I switched over, yeah. you know, they're like, well, you know, what do you think? Is, you know, and I was like, it's, yeah, but it's not all just sitting at bars drinking and talking to your friends. Right, like, of course not. Especially, I mean, if you're a brand ambassador, a true brand ambassador, then, then, yeah, you have some education, staff training, stuff like that. Mm. But, you know, and I think that's a misconception. Everybody considers me a brand ambassador. You're kind of like operations. But right? I'm, I'm, I'm everything. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I have a significant portion of my job is, is sales and everything else. So balancing that out is, you know, I, I get up at, you know, eight in the morning and I'm doing spreadsheets and conference calls and right. planning out incentives and stuff. And then, you know, oh, well, now I'm going to go out and visit retail stores. And then you go, oh, now I'm going to go out and visit, you know, on-premise accounts. Yeah. So you got to do all that stuff. How, how are you holding up physically? Does it take its toll on you? Uh, you know, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I've cut back uh, as far yeah. as my nights out. I mean, I used to be out, you know, four, five, six nights a week. Um, I, probably Dallas probably suffers the worst because when I'm at home, I want to be at home. Yeah, of course. You know, um, you know, and I have enough work that I could be on my computer all day long. Yeah. <clears throat> so I tend to, you know, not stay out as late as I used to and do something. That's that's good though. I mean, that's yeah. about that's a very it's a dangerous area to be in if you don't make if you don't set those ground rules early on, right? Oh, absolutely. You, I mean, I see you know friends and they're just like, I'm like, I can't do that. I mean, I, I there were times when I could do that, but sure. I'm just like, I'm not doing that anymore. No, you, uh, and you don't have to do it to be successful. That's the thing people don't understand. You don't have to serve yourself up on a cross and just destroy your body for the sake of a brand. You don't have to do that. Absolutely. And, you know, you reach a point once your brand gets a certain size where you can't physically do it yourself anymore. Yeah. I mean, all these great accounts that we have in Texas that are, are buying and selling High West, mm. I can't physically go in there and drink in every bar. No, There's no way. way. You know, and then, and then it's where do I spend my time? And I was like, you know, that's what we have distributors for. That's why we have our partners. I mean, they're distributor partners for a reason. Yeah. We need their help. They need to be out there doing their job. And I have a lot of, you know, friends that I have conversations with, and they're like, okay, Chris, you're the old guy. You know, here's the situation. I'm like, man, you need to get your distributor working for you. Yeah. Because if they're not. Them help, jeez. Yeah, I mean, the, if they're not, you're, you're not going to be successful in the long run. Yeah. There's a lot that we can do. I mean, <clears throat> and especially, you know, friends who, who are from the industry, they're used to working hard. Mm. Um, and they don't mind working hard to get, success right but there reaches a point where you can't do it yourself anymore it's right. like managing a restaurant but that's right? a good and a bad problem to have right because you got need more resources but you need more resources now you're yeah. so i mean that's a great pinnacle to hit well when i was at in utah last week at the distillery um having dinner with our ceo and a bunch of our, our republic uh managers mm. and you know the ceo says well you know we need more people in texas chris can't do it all and i was like and he's like no, no, no! You're doing a great job. <laughs> it's just, it's a really big state. Yeah, massive. <clears throat> you know, and so it's like, yeah, it's like I consider it. I tell everybody, it's like I got three states. I got Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. Exactly. I mean, and Austin. I'm like, that's three different, and they're three different personalities, three different experiences, and really, when you look at the number of accounts that you need to support, it's pretty significant. Well, it's any one of those single markets is as big as any other big market in a single state, right? That's, that's the great thing about Texas, and that was something that never clicked with me for, for probably a couple of years while operating at a distillery. It's like, oh, now I get why people play the Texas thing so hard. Like, I, I thought it was just trying to take care 
uh, take advantage of home court advantage, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But no, the reality is, is if you knock it out in Houston, that's like knocking out all of Illinois. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's 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 crazy. It's that kind of important. It's just well, that. that you know, yeah. in, in, at High West, there are, I have four people like me in the company mm-hmm. uh, that are dedicated research for a specific state. And really, so I've got a partner in, in Illinois, mm-hmm. which essentially she just does Chicago. That's right. it. Exactly. That's all yeah. she has to do. Uh, I've got a partner who's New York, New Jersey, but pretty much she just does New York City. And that's all she does. Mm-hmm. Um, someone in Florida, she spends a good time. Florida's pretty spread out indoors. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a guy in California. Uh, <clears throat> but because we have a manager in Southern California, he really only does San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of does a little bit more. But so everybody else is a lot more, you know. This got like a single geographically focus. centered. You yeah, know? totally. Uh, whereas I'm a little more spread out. And it's funny because like when we have people come down for blitzes, you know, okay, we're going to bring in, you know, a lot of resources. We're going to get a, you know, sell a, a ton of whiskey in a mm-hmm. week. Um, so when they, we don't have a lot of volunteers to come to Texas because they know what it means. Oh yeah. Because we do Houston one day, we do Austin the next day, dude. It's Dallas the next day. Massive it's, road trip. That, yeah. that, that's, <laughs> yeah. We call it the death march, and it's like that triangle, <laughs> that little triangle drive, and, yeah. and I was like. I do this all the time, guys, <clears throat> and it's just like because you're up, you know, at at five and driving to the next city, yeah. And you have meetings, and then you go out and sell all day. And then you have a dinner, and you have a cocktail hour, and you, the next thing you know, it's like, oh, it's ten o'clock, and we got to get up at five. Yeah. Now. So yeah, that's it's, it's rough, it's, man. It's, Texas is it's a it's an asshole. It's a good, it is, but it's totally worth it. Always worth it. Absolutely, I, I think <clears throat> the recognition. I mean, people will understand this is a tough state. Um, I think, you know, for, for a brand like High West, obviously, Texas is the number one state for oh, whiskey. Yeah, sure. You know, and so, yeah, it's it's crucial that we're successful here. It's all on your shoulders, man. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. So, you know, I have, a, I have an interesting question for you because I think if College Station made sense with the chemical engineering thing, mm-hmm. what, did, what, did, what took you to Dallas? Why Dallas not go back to San Antonio, for example? Um, I don't Was it girls? Know what it was. It's always girls. Well, I, I, my roommate was a girl. Yeah. But it wasn't. Nothing we like we that. We weren't together yeah um i don't know it's just one of those things where i thought that was the nice next next place to go i mean mm-hmm. it was one of those things i hung out in consultation for a long time because i was having fun i mean yeah. i didn't oh, yeah. i mean but then you reach the point where okay i'm five years older than all these people even the oldest people i'm five years older than yeah. that you know i'm like yeah, i need something more mature and you know road trips up here and stuff and i'm like no i think it's i think there was a lot of great opportunity um obviously i've you know, I think that Dallas has really grown into itself in oh, terms yeah. of bars and restaurants, culinary scene, and all of that stuff. So you transitioned. So when was because you talk about working at Republic as well and Whiskey Kick being your last bartending gig. Mm-hmm. So the collection of all those gigs you had doing bartending, like how many places are we talking about that you worked at in, in, in Dallas? In Dallas, yeah. Oh, this is gonna be crazy. <laughs> um, quick, quick uh, inventory, Chris. No, well, actually, because I actually took a break. Oh, so, did you? What'd you do on the book? Okay, we'll talk about the break. We'll talk about that in a second, but let me let me let me do a quick count. So I had three and then I worked for Starbucks. Yeah, all right. Uh, Was that the break? Is that kind no, of break? No, no, well, not really. I count that there's a there's very strong similarity between being a barista and being a bartender. Sure, sure. Um I actually opened up the market when Starbucks first came to Texas. I was one of the opening. No people. kidding. Yeah. Um and then after that I went to I, then that led into my break. Uh-huh. I was in computer software. I was a project manager 
for a computer software company. You took a tech uh, tangent. Yeah, well, I had, my kids at the time, I had actually have four kids. Four kids. My kids were, you know, from not born yet till yeah. like six years old. And so the bartender lifestyle really doesn't play well with, you know. I totally understand. Was it a, were you, were you married at the time? or mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Was yeah. Was that something that your wife at the time was kind of like, or maybe it's the same wife, I don't know, I'm not going to assume. But like, was she's like, you need to. No, well, actually, never because I met her. her when I worked at, at Starbucks because she also worked at Starbucks. Oh, okay. So that's that's kind of like, we were peas in the pot in yeah. that regard. Uh, but even when, when they were very, very young um, and we were both working at Starbucks, I would have to work mornings and she would work nights. So we always had someone. Gotcha. Coverage, kids, right? Right. Um, so that's kind of what led to it is like, okay, we need something with more normal hours. Yeah. So, you know, we can see each other and we can, you know, be there for the kids and they can have a family life. Crazy. So did that <clears throat> for a long time. Well, from about 1999, uh, until 2006. Man, those were tough times for tech too. Oh, well, yeah. That's, <laughs> and I left because it was, because it got of that, worse. Yeah. Got even worse. But that's a yeah. long, that is a long departure if you think about it. Yeah, it is. It, did you finally leverage that chemical engineering degree at that point? Or was it, it, it still? A, uh, it was, I mean, organization and, and stuff, which, I mean, are good traits for anybody to sure, have. But yeah. I was really strong at that. And you know, I could get stuff done. So, you know, and, and that and the other thing is I could talk to the people. Uh, I was I was that interface between uh, yeah. the guys writing the software because yeah. I could talk to them and I mm-hmm. can understand their language and where they're coming from. And then I can understand the people requesting the software because yeah. they want all this. Then you know the kitchen sink, and these guys are are saying yes, but uh, you know it's going to take this long. And then I had to say no. I know how long this takes. It's yeah. going to take this. Long. So I, I I think you're that, the translator exactly. Yeah. And so I think that 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 came from you know my years of just communicating with people, making people happy in the bar. Was it? Know? Did you did you see ultimately like? Because I always wonder where people. And it's not like an interview question, but so they're in the industry for, let's say, five to ten years. Like, well, isn't the normal trajectory that you open your own place? I mean, not to put that on anybody, but that <clears throat> typically is the, the trajectory, isn't it? Typically, yeah. You know, and it's and it's crazy that I, I, I actually went into management when I was at Houston's. Okay. Uh, I, you know, they were like, you should just run the bar. And I did. Yeah. Uh, but that was a little different style. It wasn't, you weren't you weren't making cocktail menus and you weren't doing those kind of things because that was decreed, you know, by corporate. And there really wasn't those kind of programs in place. And, you know, I was managing, you know, what brands we had. You didn't have, you know, reps coming in selling you stuff all the mm-hmm. time. You didn't have suppliers coming in. Selling. And, of course, there was a change. So, you know, it's a lot of those things were had at bigger levels. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was doing the numbers and scheduling and service and, you know, standards and stuff like that. That's what, it, that's what it was all about. Uh, so it was a little bit different aspect of that. And, you know, even when I moved back into it, you know, I was a senior bartender, you know, uh, and more well more well plethora of experience uh, at that uh, point. Yeah, a, a well-seasoned bartender. And, you know, I was coming in and I had learned the craft aspect kind of on my own. Yeah. You know, all these cocktails and stuff. I, I just, like, did it on my own. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of relaunched my career was – uh, I represented the, the Bartenders Guild, the North Texas Bartenders Guild. Okay. I tells the cocktail in a contest. Ended up getting second place in the country. Really? So that got me a lot. I met a lot of people. And, you know, it's all about who you know. It is, right. You know, and so that just started my network growing immensely. Um, you know, <clears throat> then I became guild president. Mm-hmm. Well, then everybody wants to talk to you, right? So then, you know, more people, more people, more right. people. So it really is a good opportunity to do that. 
Um, I was never really the, the, the front man, though. I was not that bartender who got, you know, yeah, I'm, I was making drinks. I was getting drinks on menu. Yeah. I was, you know, usually, you know, one of two bartenders that people would ask for when they came in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I wasn't the star. I wasn't the name, you know. In the Do bar. you listen to Radiohead at all? Occasionally, yeah. So, the, you know, there's Tom York. Everybody knows mm-hmm. Tom York. But Johnny Greenwood's the brains. Right. But no one knows because he just sits there and he does the work. Right? So I always think it's like you're like that rhythm guitar player that puts his head down, gets the work done, but everybody knows him, but he's not the vocal one. Right. So, you know, at Whiskey Cake, um, I don't know if you know Sean Connor. Mm. Sean, you know, well-known, worked at Victor Tango's. I mean, he's a okay. great, great guy. He's a good friend of mine. Um, my son actually works for him in his new restaurant. No shit. Yeah, my son's Man, going into the business. That's amazing. You know, so, How do you feel about that real quick? Is It you, It was actually a moment of a little bit of pride. He, that's amazing, he, yeah. He, you know, he was looking for his first job, and I was like, well, you know, I know some guys. You know, maybe I can get you a job. Yeah. So he got a job, and he took to it like a fish to water. He was we'll go like, figure, right? He was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, we did this, and this, is, and they're doing that wrong. I was like, okay, you're not a bartender. You can't tell people they're doing things wrong, even mm-hmm. though you've I've taught you skills and yeah. stuff, you know. But you know, and so for years, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the thing is, is is that you know, for I know his entire he just graduated from high school. Mm. His entire high school career, he was focused on art. He wanted to. He was he's an artist, and he yeah. wanted to design video game environments. He did concept design. That, he, he had his school picked out, everything. Um, he was going to take a year off and right. just work, earn money. And he came to me like three weeks ago and says, "Dad, I think I changed my mind." I was like, "Really?" He goes, I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. I think I might want to go into the hospitality industry. Wow! And I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." I, <laughs> I was like, "All right, if that's I mean, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's pretty cool." And I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm teaching my whiskey class at UNC in their hospitality program next week. Why don't you come on in?" And so we took him up there. So it's it's kind of cool, you know, having it's someone following in your footsteps, man. You know, and, that's and, awesome. And the, well, it was really crazy because. He said, you know, I want to, you know, go into Bartzing, you know, run a program, yeah. manage, you know, have a restaurant maybe. And he goes, maybe someday I want to do what you do. And I was like, well, I don't know how many 18-year-olds are saying they want to be a, a supplier rep. I know. You know. And I was like, okay, well, we'll take that with a grain of salt. And so it's funny because I took him out. We went out to lunch one time and we we're going around San Antonio or Dallas. Mm. And I was like, all right, I got to do some work. And so we stopped by some of my my accounts, we had a lunch at Remedy with Monte and, mm-hmm. you know, went to Henry's Majestic. I was like, but I got to hit some retail accounts too. <clears throat> so we hit two or three retail accounts. By the last one, he's just like bored out of his mind. Yeah. And he's like, he goes, no, no, I just can't do that, Dad. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that's why I took you to see. He was like, see, that's good. It's like, you know. It's the ghost of Christmas like, past. Well, the, the thing is, is like, look, we all, everybody grows into it. You, yeah. know, you know, there reaches a point where most, most guys are going to say, hey, you know, I, uh, I can't, I can't bartend anymore. Oh, you, I can, but it's just like wearing me down. Right. And so you need something different. And so this is one, one route to go. But going all the way back to your, your question about, you know, your own place. I imagine that when I retire, I'll retire to my own place. Yeah. I will. You have me, all the skills to, now. To, I mean, to, to me, that would, that would be retirement. I, you know, have my own place. Probably have my son help me run it. Oh, yeah. You know, my kids. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't have much of a retirement savings at this point. I've like, <laughs> been running my whole life. So I'm like, yeah, I'll have, I imagine someday. But, you know, and actually I'm probably more connected now in that regard. Mm. I could probably get more funding or investors now than oh, yeah, you, back in the day. Because, because you've got the reputation. You're doing good now. work. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so why, you know, before we enter what is the latest chapter as we've been sipping this amazing rye, but why did you shift 
was it to learn or was it just another kind of stalemate? Why did you shift over to the distribution side over with Republic? <clears throat> um, it was, well, at the time, um, I left uh, I left Whiskey Cake. Uh, I interviewed, there was an opportunity um, and uh, for the mixologist at R&DC. Uh-huh. And so Sean Boss, he's like, I got you an interview with these guys. I was like, all right, well. And apparently he thought that I couldn't interview and work at the same time. So he's like, but you need to quit. And I was like. Just for an interview? It, it, was, wow. a re- it was a really weird situation. That's strange. Yeah. It, was a, it was a weird situation. So I was like, all right. I was like, I need to work. I need money. He's like, you'll get the job. It's fine. Well, you know, after a month. And <laughs> I was like, the thing is, that I, 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 was, I had other gigs going. Yeah, sure. I, was ca- I did a lot of catering and stuff. Okay. Were you I, cooking for the catering? Uh, I did a little bit of everything. I can, yeah. I can, I know it, man. You talk about cooking yourself dinner every well, day. Well, actually, I, I, I started off as in the business as a cook. I mean, I, I from time I was sixteen till I was, oh, I don't know, when I was in college, I was still cooking. Really? Yeah. So, I, 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 I for a long time, I had more time in the kitchen experience than I did behind the bar. So, there's, it's just inevitable until you open your own place. I could just—it's got to, man. It's got to. But anyway, so that's that's an aside, and I might hold you to it here in yes, twenty years or whatnot. Someday, someday. <laughs> but yeah. so, how did the interview go? Did you did you like doing the um well the corporate I, thing? In I, a way? I, the 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 crazy thing is is that I interviewed for the mixologist position and you know created a whole menu and we did mm-hmm. all this thing. I had like three interviews and you know a presentation with drinks and everything, and it came down to two people, me or a girl. Uh huh. <laughs> Girl one, <clears throat> which is makes some sense. I get it. Well, you know, yeah. it's, it's like all right, it is what it is. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm still doing my catering thing and helping out and, and doing stuff. And a week later, the position of craft specialist was vacated. Oh, and it's funny because the guy vacating was a friend of mine. He's and, and, and Kobe, Kobe Lyles, and he's like, "Hey, man," he goes, "You don't want that job. He goes, you want my job." Oh. And so he's like. I'll, I'll I'll tell you know Whitney the boss that he should talk to you and just hire you for that job. Amazing. And then you know one of the senior mixologist uh, Sly Cosmopolis said hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in your camp too. And so I get a call from Whitney who I'd already interviewed with twice uh-huh. for the mixologist position. <clears throat> He's like, so what do you think about doing this craft specialist thing? I was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm I can talk about it. Sure. So he's like, meet me over here. We met at a bar. We had like six or eight drinks and just talked about it. He's like, yeah, you got the job. You know, Amazing. Uh, which turned out to be the job I really wanted. I didn't know it at the time, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the better job. And it's funny because Naomi, the girl who got the mixologist job, she didn't like it. She didn't like it. She <laughs> goes, you won. I was like, you won the job. You beat me. You won She's this like, round. But you, but, but you got the good job. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I think that the, the value in being at R&DC, one, uh, it gave me exposure to, to a lot of brands, mm. um, not just, you know, the products, but the people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was only with them for 15 months. And which isn't a long time, but it was very much kind of a trying on process, me getting to know suppliers. Yeah. I mean, there were some suppliers that I swore I thought I was going to end up working with. You know, uh, I was really tight with William Grant. And yeah. They really love those guys. And those guys are awesome. Um, St. George, the guys at St. George, I, I spent a lot of time with. Yeah. Hanging out with them, selling their stuff, pushing. And I love their juice. I mean, both. Yeah, it's both great. Companies. Paul was in here the <coughs> couple, couple months ago. Yeah. Real good so, dude. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's, you know, was one of those things I thought, you know, and we talked about it. It's like, yeah, when there's an opportunity that suits you, we would love for you to come work with us. But it, I got this opportunity first. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, I'm jumping on it. You have to. 
Which brings us to perfectly. Thank you for for that segue, Chris. <laughs> so we're here. It's a lovely but incredibly scorching afternoon in Austin. You're in town. And you are so wonderfully sharing the rendezvous rye with me. Mm-hmm. Non chill filtered. We'll talk about the blending and stuff here in a second. But it's 46 ABV. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I finished it already <laughs> ahead yeah, of you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm actually. But. I uh I love I actually lived in Salt Lake City for quite some time. Oh really? Yeah. And this to think mm-hmm. to think that booze became a thing because this was in the late '90s when I lived there. Oh yeah. It just boggles my mind. So the fact that they pulled it off because absolutely. From my understanding, they had to push legislation through to allow themselves to operate more or less. Is that kind of the case or? No, it's it's an it's a, it is a really interesting story. It took it took David quite a few years. Um, what happened was he was at the time he was uh, a biochemist. Yeah, he worked for a pharmaceutical company called Genentech. Genentech, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. You've heard of it. Um, <laughs> and he and his wife went to Kentucky for uh, actually they were in Ohio for a wedding. They decided let's pop down and go see a distillery. So they went to Maker's Mark, and David walked in there and just that smell, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like wow, he was blown away. And he's like, this is awesome. And then, you know, he goes on the tour and he realizes, he goes, hey, man, this is exactly what I'm doing. It's the same process. Sure. Distillation, whether it's for, for making drugs or making, you know, it's, it's all yeast, it's all bioengineering. It's the same thing. Totally. Right. <clears throat> he's like, I'd rather distill. And so he goes to James White. He's like, I want to start a distillery. And she was like, that's cool. My grandfather was a distiller. Whoa. And he's like, I didn't know. Holy crap. And so, like, okay, great. And, of course, they're living in Northern California. So, they're yeah. like, well, you know, where are we going to do this? David, you know, was born in, in Colorado, and he mm-hmm. wanted to go back to the mountains. And they decided it on Park City. They wanted Lovely. to be in I Utah. Love Park City, right? yeah. uh, <clears throat> so, obviously, it was an uphill battle. Um, he had to do his research. He, to my understanding, he didn't have to have legislation passed. He found a license on the books oh. uh, that – Really, no one knew about, and he actually went in <clears throat> and applied for this license. And the state was like, "Um, we don't think this is legal." And he's like, "Without the book, and said, you know, yeah, hey, yeah, this is, yeah, it is right here." And they're like, "Oh, okay, go ahead." That's amazing. You know, it was one of those things. It's like the, finding a buried treasure, isn't it? <clears throat> it is. Well, and that was, you know, we, we were the first legal distillery since 1870 in Utah. Wow. Um, you know, license number one in Utah, and so. It's it's really interesting in that the state of Utah has been very cooperative. I bet very cooperative. They're very progressive, I mean, they, despite they, what people might think. Yeah, they they. I mean, they had to change a lot of laws to get the Olympics because yeah. you know when they're like, they're like, um, sorry, ain't nobody gonna come here if they can't drink. Right, totally. You know? and, and so that was that was a big impetus. <clears throat> and then you think about just the number of tourists and and all of that, you know. And so, you know, I think that. It really swung really far, and I think in some places it's tightening back up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it really, I mean, they really handle it by, they have like a gazillion different types of liquor licenses. So it depends on the type of license. You know, so there's one, a certain amount of food, right. certain amount of this, certain amount of that. You can go to 2 o'clock in the morning. This You can go to 10 o'clock. All, <coughs> all these, literally, our new distillery has like six licenses wow. for different for Different scenarios, things. Different scenarios. We were the first one to get a, an educational license mm-hmm. uh, in Utah, which means that we can serve more than one shot of, of booze. Um, as long as people. you're talking about as it long educationally? As, as long as it's educational and it's got to be in a special room. You know, we can close the doors and kids can't see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
you know, there's, there's some some control for there, sure. There's some yeah. stuff because uh, we did. I was there what a month ago, and I was doing a tasting with Carly yeah. out on on, the, on <laughs> we were like let's eat lunch out on the porch. Oh, I saw some pictures. I recall yeah. it was quite scenic. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. So we were sitting out there eating lunch, and we're like, oh, we're doing a tasting. They're like, well. We can only give you one at a time. So they were like, bring us one. We'd taste through that and then bring us the <laughs> next one. <clears throat> so you just got to learn how to work the law in Utah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, uh, it's been fairly successful. It's crazy to think of it, that it's, it's shifted that, that much forward, you know. Mm-hmm. And you guys do some really interesting things. There's a Midsummer's Night's Dram, right? Which was Midwinter's kind of, Night's Dram. Thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always I've been mm-hmm. talking about Shakespeare today for some fucking reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. But you guys are really known for innovating using particular barrel treatments. Mm-hmm. And what I think, though, like, would you consider kind of the, the flagship product, the Rendezvous Rye? Right. That's the one I see so often, but you guys have plenty of other stuff. Well, it really depends on... And the way you measure that, you know, what's the most popular product. Right. Um, we sell more double rye than anything else. Gotcha, okay. No, that's going into cocktails, though. I mean, it's, it's a volume cocktail kind yeah. of thing. Um, it is our number one seller. Rendezvous rye is our original one. Mm. It is our highest rated whiskey. Um, it's most consistently the whiskey that people pick as their favorite. Yeah, it's really um, lovely. Yeah, this is, I, I call it my desert island whiskey. Totally, man. Now, I'm working at R&DC, obviously, I, I got to drink a lot of, Really good whiskey. Yeah. Um, and I still get to drink a lot of really good whiskey because I have friends and, mm-hmm. you know, who want to trade. And so I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I come home from events and I have, you know, some good whiskeys. I like good whiskey. Yeah. Um, what do you, but, so do you think, and briefly, age does not always make absolutely a good not. whiskey? Because I don't know how old this is and it doesn't actually matter, but this <clears> Rendezvous <throat> Rye is balanced, not too punchy. Everything is encapsulated perfectly with the wood. And so, this could be two years. I don't know. It's probably not two years, but it's incredible. It's a six and a sixteen. Yeah, um, and wow. I think that's it's it's very true. I mean, I don't I don't remember who was telling me. One of my Scotch buddies was telling me a story, and his distiller always, you know, when people go on the tours, he always throws it out there. Who wants, you know, a, a five year Scotch or a twenty year Scotch? Yeah, and everybody's hand shoots up for a twenty year Scotch, right? Yeah. So he brings out this barrel that. He purposely saves because it's crap. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like because what? Can, I mean, it could mildew. It could, you know, something. Yeah. something over tannic. It could you just know, be whatever. gross. Yeah. And, and so he's like, "Here you go. Here's a twenty. And just, you know, to prove a point, here's the five. I'm like, "Well, this five is so much better." Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, it's every barrel is different. You don't know for sure what you're going to get. I mean, that's why everybody blends. Yeah. And you know, I know it's a big deal for for everybody. High West is a blender. Yeah, we're a blender. And we disclose it because we buy from other distilleries. Right. But Maker's Mark blends. Everything's right. a blend. Every, every whiskey's a blend. Yeah. I mean, we know that. Anybody who does their homework knows every whiskey's a blend unless it says single barrel on the label. Right. There's more than one barrel in there because if you're going to have consistent flavor, you have to take this really woody barrel over here and mix it with this sweet one over there Absolutely. to get the whiskey you want. Do um, you think people have a problem with the blending part? It just makes <clears throat> so much sense to me. It, it, there's a prejudice in America. In in ah. in Europe, there this this doesn't exist. There are a lot of really great scotches made by guys who have don't never owned a distillery. Yeah, but they're really good at finding good whiskey, mm-hmm. tasting it, and then knowing how to blend it. Yeah. I don't know if you ever tried. I've tried blending before, and it is a pain in the butt. I'm like, I'm really good at identifying good whiskey. Yeah, yes, that tastes delicious. But if I have to blend, I'm like, no. I mean, the guys who do it drink, <clears throat> you know. 
a lot of whiskey. Yeah. Uh, do a taste. Not well, you, it's, you know, the only time I've had to blend, but it's slightly different, is when we, we made the sotol, and so blending the puntas and the colas into the hearts. That is, because you could do any one of the sections separately if you wanted, right? right. You could just puntas heavy. Right? Mm-hmm. Just puntas. But that is, that's the closest I've ever come. And so with whiskey, I can only imagine these like, man, this is a really woody barrel. This is a really light, not mm. as tannic, but this is a sweet one. And just, I don't even know what the ratios would begin to look like. Right. You know what I mean? That's the thing that's really exciting to me. Cause I would love to, to do that at some point. And it's, it, it, you guys are, with this ride, obviously a brilliant expression of how the blending is masterful, mm. you know? That it is a key point to making a good whiskey. I mean, our team up there, I mean, they're just so good. Because they can, they can, when they're doing tasting, they're tasting from a barrel, they're like, oh, this would be really good with this. Yeah. You know, and, and going back to experimentation, yeah, most of our expressions, our, our core four, if you will, they're pretty much set as way they're going to taste. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so basically, we're working to maintain that profile. So like now, we, we've been saying for the longest time, double rise a two and a 16-year-old blend. Yeah. You know, two-year-old for the spices, 16-year-old smoothing sure. out. Sure. <clears throat> that's it's gonna migrate you know it's gonna change over time um that 16 year old whiskey is gonna run out at some oh absolutely point. you know so it's it's purchased stuff that we got from barton distillery yeah um and so it's gonna run out and so we have to have a plan to do something else <clears throat> so we're doing lots of experimentation we're looking at you know how do we create a more flavorful whiskey faster yeah you know that everybody whole, yeah it's that whole age grail, and, really you know uh, and, and we have some unique aspects in, in, in Utah with the, how dry it is up there. Mm. I mean, it influences the aging process. Um, really, the, the angel share we found, we're not really for sure on how the influence. But we found in the angel share, we lose more water than, than alcohol. Interesting. Okay. All right. So actually, proof goes up in yeah, the barrel. Right. Whereas wow. you know, normally it comes down. Yeah, that's incredible. So what, what would happen if we put in something at a low proof? And let it come up in proof. And you that's, condense a low proof. Oh, you condense yeah. the flavor in it, right? That's a brilliant idea. So, you know, we're, we're, we do a lot of experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, David's a scientist, you know, and so he's like, well, let's try this. One chemical um, engineer to another engineer, absolutely. right? You know, <laughs> and, you know, Midwest Nitram was an experiment. You know, at one point, Matt, our former VP of sales, he used to, he was a, oh, he owned his own winery. And wow. so he's like well connected in the winery. And David's like, get us a bunch of, wine barrels and let's see what happens so we got port we got this we got you know the coupe Syrah. we got mm. you know via vermouth which turned in coupe Syrah and via vermouth is yeah. bka you know and so we actually have a program we call barrel select so what we'll do is we'll take a whiskey and we'll throw it in a barrel and after a year or two if it tastes good then we'll sell it to, to an account oh, you know yeah, yeah. so you'll have an exclusive barrel something unique and then the ones that are the coolest then we'll like okay we need to mass produce this mm. so really the barrel selects is our is our testing line we don't sell anything that's like not good. Sure, of course. but you know, it's, you got to test through some stuff, right? Exactly. You know, you got, you got to throw some experiments out there, and there, we throw away a lot of stuff too. Oh, there's, there's been when you learn how to make whiskey. There's a lot of mistakes along the way. There has to be, you know, which is you know, how do you pay the bills? And well, we're blenders. That's the way we do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I know you, you're heading to a staff training because you are dedicated to the education element of whiskey, which is a lovely thing. After enjoying a dram with me, which I appreciate. So. What of the High West, if you had, I know there's a bunch of limited stuff, and I remember mm-hmm. trying maybe a 20-plus year rye one time when I was in California, a really, really stubby bottle. But for you, what is the, what's the one? The one the, uh, the one the that special release? Yeah, that would just, that you are so glad that you've tasted or so glad that you might have a bottle. Oh, I didn't bring any bottle, any cool bottles. Oh, no, no, that's okay. But um, let's see. 
I really, really like. Uh, well, it's not. Well, if it's TTB record, you no, can no, say no, no. <laughs> uh, well, no, I bring. I think a lot of the cool stuff, the really, really rare stuff, is usually only released in Utah. Uh-huh. Um, so <clears throat> I'm fortunate that when I go up there, I was like, ooh. I'm taking that home, and I'm taking that home. Amazing. So last year, uh, we did a, a, a short release of 16-year-old rye. Just mm. straight 16-year-old rye. Wow. That, that was it. Barton, you said? Uh, I don't know if it was one. I think it was Barton, but okay. I'm not sure. Um, and so it was so limited that I couldn't even, like, get a sample. I had to pay cash for it. Wow. Full price. And I bought two bottles. So I was like, <laughs> that was. Must have been good. Yeah. I have about, I don't know, I've got about a point three left. Um, I'm, I'm hanging on to that. Uh, the 21-year-old that was out oh, four years ago. Yeah. Um, that one's good. I found a – after I started – it came out before. It was pretty much gone by the time I started working at High West. Yeah. Um, I found a bottle on a retail shelf. Oh, no kidding. And I was like, do you know what that is? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm buying it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> – Just make sure there's no uh, discrepancy or I'm going to buy that thing that no one can buy. Oh, yeah, well, and then the funny thing is, is it, it lingered. There was some in in at Poison Girl. Um, oh, really? I it's crazy because I would go into Poison Girl and there you carry everything that we have yeah. ever. And so I'd go in there and I was like, "What do you got?" And like, "Oh, we got some 21." And I was like, "Oh, cool." You know, this was years ago. Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, I'll drink some 21." They're like, "It's 25 dollars shot." I'm like, I don't care. Pour do it. it yeah. And so drank it. And so one time I was in there, I finished the bottle. And so. Next time I go in there, I go back to Houston. I go back in Poison Girl because I like they got good whiskey. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I don't even want. To, I was like, Tell me what you got. Uh, I got this. I got in twenty one year, very rare. I was like, no, you don't. I finished. Your I was bottle. like, what are you I, talking about? I killed that bottle last time. He's like, it's on the list. It's here. I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, I know, dude. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, he's like, just wait. And he goes off to the back, disappears mm. like fifteen minutes. Comes back with a brand new unopened bottle. Oh my god! I was like, "How many bottles did you buy?" And so I was like, "All right, crack it open. Let's let's go. Let's do a round." <laughs> and he's like, 20. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know how much it is. It's fine." <laughs> I'm like, "Go ahead, go for it." Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and then I was like, "I'm going in there and asking for it every time." And unfortunately, the last time I go in there, I was like, oh, "Please have some. Please have some." Twenty one. No, it's gone. He's uh, like, "No, we ran out about a month ago." I was like, "Damn it! I need to come in here more often." Couple ball in that, uh, so that's thing. good. Uh, you know, I uh, I really enjoy the the new one that came out in Utah. When was it? Uh, about a month or so, two months ago. Um, is the fourteen year old light whiskey? Ooh, okay. Uh, so a light whiskey is anything distilled above one hundred and sixty proof, mm-hmm. but below one ninety. Okay. So typically, to be a straight whiskey, you have to be below one sixty. Yeah. So one sixty one ninety is called a light whiskey. Uh, above one ninety, it's called vodka. Uh-huh. Uh So. Right, just shy of vodka. This was, I think, originally 185. Um, and typically, it's a blending component. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, scotch, they use it for, you know, blending, for, for blending scotches. Things like, you know, Crown Royal, Seagram 7, right, you know, right. Canadian whiskeys, things like that. And this was actually originally made in, in, at MTP. Okay. Um, it, was a, it was a Seagram's blending component. It, they essentially lost a barrel of, in an age for like 14 years. Oh my God. Uh, and so I had it originally, David found it and bought it uh, two or three years ago. And I had it originally two years ago uh, when I was just 12. And it was awesome. We actually stole a bottle and drank it all. Oh, it's um, amazing. <clears throat> in, in one afternoon. And then they just released it. So 
it's it's a very it is a very light whiskey um very pale golden color it's delicious though it's it's not you know it's not this yeah uh, this but, is but you know that's the thing man this is both young at heart but yet very mature you gotta i think you gotta have variety you know yeah i, I you know that's why i like that's the beautiful thing about the craft spirits thing i was like you know but we you know in the old days we I actually did not like whiskey, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 20 years ago because it was crud. Yeah. You know, it was this mass-produced stuff, and it's like, it tastes like crap. You know, now with, you know, all this nice age stuff that's, you know, with people who are paying attention to what they're doing in small batches, I mean, it just tastes so much better. It's a great time to be alive, and it's a great time to be drinking whiskey. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, we're, we're riding the wave right now. Yeah, and this is... Lovely to be sipping some rye with you, Chris. And it's been been a pleasure chatting and kind of. I, I think you'll open a place. I think it'll take some time, but I think you'll. Mm. I think I'll do it, man. And you have you got such a nice resume for all of it, and you can talk to distillers and they can understand too. You've got the ability of translation, right? It was funny because I was at I was actually at a. Uh, what's the vacuum distilled one from England? This gin. Oh, Bloom. No, not Bloom. No, uh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was at I was at their dinner, and I'm listening to him describe this process of oh well it's vacuum distilled with yeah. the thing and and I was like really really technical and after then I didn't say anything and after the dinner I was like hey man and I knew I can't remember who it was yeah. I knew the guy I mean we had a relationship and I was like you know you the, you might get a better response if you described it this way yeah and he's looking at me like. Who the hell are you telling Who me? You know, obviously, he'd been <laughs> told by the distiller, this is the way you, just, you explain yeah, it. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I'm someone who knows about distillation. Mm-hmm. I know about thermodynamics is what you're talking about. All right. And, you know, why does the, the boiling point of the alcohol because come it's down? Because under atmospheric you know, pressure, that, right? You know, yeah. It's like, <clears throat> I'm like, you can take it for what you want. But I'm like, I think that people, and I know people, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the way they, they listen and what, what resonates with them. So. I don't know if he ever took it, but I was like, "Is he pissed?" He was just—he was just like, "No, okay, whatever you say." And he didn't believe that I knew what the hell I was talking about. But you know that that's really something that's vastly important in this industry is being able to take all the nerdisms and say, "Like, man, you know what? Let's not talk about proof for a second. Does that taste good to you? How does it make you feel?" You know, that's really like the key to this whole thing. Absolutely. You know, I, I teach the one-on-one whiskey one-on-one course at, at UNT, and it's like, how do you teach? Everything about whiskey in an hour and, and a half. Right. You know, and it's like, really? And and not just, you know, how do you make it, but all the different classifications, all the different, you know, scotch and this and that. Yeah. All the rules and regulations. It's like, that's a lot. But you need to have it, do it in a way that engages someone, yeah. you know, and I think that's an important part of our business is like being able to have those discussions and not have people turn off that switch. Totally. And that, well, that's the thing with, with communication at this point too, but you seem to amass, if that's the right way to use that word, an amazing network of people, an amazing career in this industry, and it's been a pleasure chatting, man. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I'm fine. I'm glad we finally got to talk. Yeah, me too. It was great. Thanks so much. My pleasure. 
Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Mr. Chris Furtado, the one-man show for High West Whiskey in Texas? Spreading the word, spreading the sips, sharing the rendezvous rye, sharing a lot of great things. And the latest installment of Midsummer Night's Dram, I think it is Act 3, hits stores here in Texas very soon. And it is another delicious installment. Great getting to talk to Chris, and it's taken some time, but I'm glad it finally happened. Thank you, Chris, so much for spending some time with me. And again, High West Whiskey success and High West Whiskey. Week it should have you first, Chris. Can't wait to dig into the mind of David Perkins, and I can't wait to share that conversation Thursday with you guys. So, thanks everybody for listening to Show to V. No matter how many more seasons of Sex in the City you have left to binge on through Amazon Prime, or what kind of shit show this presidential debate's going to be tonight, please keep dancing. 